We are in the second week of our kind of our Christmas series. Uh, we're calling it Investigating Jesus, uh, but you could, you know, we could, we could call it that and investigate anything about Jesus. We could investigate his life and maybe we could do it at Easter and talk about the resurrection. We're investigating miracles or parables. Um, but for us, we really are looking at the nativity and talking about Christmas specifically. We're investigating Jesus in light of Christmas and trying to help people get past sort of the the fairy tale, it's a really nice story idea of what the nativity actually is or as we celebrate um, Advent. And so we're introducing several of those things to kind of help you guys uh, walk through it. I, I found it very interesting. Whenever you start researching traditions and investigating Christmas across the board, I've just found some very interesting things. Last week I shared with you about kind of like how Christmas came about and why December 25th, that's not in the Bible by the way, December 25th was, you know, kind of called out as, hey, we're going to celebrate Jesus' birthday this day and the church did that and then they kind of tried to kind of bring together all the other celebrations and festivals that were happening mid-year, mid-winter, Yule, you know, winter solstice. They kind of brought it all together under one roof of Christmas and tried to bring it all there. Um, and, and, and I find that a lot of times Christians over the centuries have kind of struggled sometimes to identify, well, what's the Christian part of Christmas versus what's, you know, uh, kind of the pagan part or the other parts of those things. And, and I was even talking to one of our partners this morning, uh, one of our journey partners who told me, they were like, you know, we grew up in a church that was so, uh, so specific about removing sort of Christmas from, you know, sort of from, uh, from um, you know, the person of Christ. They did not want it to, to overmix. And so Christmas was, they didn't even talk about the nativity at Christmas. Like they literally grew up in a church where Christmas was not about Christ. And I know that sounds really weird, but there's a lot of denominations and people that do that because they don't want to mix the two uh, together. Sometimes in, a, in an effort to kind of overcorrect, um, we see historically some things have happened as well. I, I researched this about the time they canceled Christmas. I don't know if you knew they did that or not. Uh, but like I said last week, the festivals and the events, okay, the worldly festivals and events that were happening at this time, even though they were kind of coming under the umbrella of Christmas, they were, they were a little uh, out there, okay? Some of them were a little bit crazy. So they were a little less like, you know, uh, uh, um, what's the white elephant gift, Dirty Santa? You know, they were a little bit less like the white elephant gift exchanges that we have and a little bit more like Mardi Gras. Everybody with me? Like that's what the, that's what the partying was like in some of these mid, mid-winter festivals that kind of got attached to Christmas. And so, um, you know, Christians, and especially Puritan Christians in England, about 1645, uh, with the leading of a guy named Oliver Cromwell, they actually vowed to get rid of sort of all the decadence and all the kind of the paganism that was a part of the church and had crept into the church. And part of that was they canceled Christmas. They just canceled it because they couldn't trust that people were going to, you know, do it right. And so Christmas was canceled for several years until Charles II actually got restored uh, to the English throne. But at the same time, not just in England, but over here, that was 1645. In 1620, when the Puritans kind of came over, these Puritans and pilgrims uh, kind of came over, their beliefs were just as sort of orthodox uh, and even sometimes more so. So they didn't bring Christmas over with them at all. Like, they didn't even bring Christmas to, I mean, everybody celebrates the pilgrims at Thanksgiving, but Christmas wasn't happening because of the Orthodox beliefs of the Puritans uh, that landed. Matter of fact, I read a few things. From 1659 to 1681, 
the celebration of Christmas was actually outlawed in Boston. Okay, up in the Northeast. Anybody from Boston? All right. They outlawed it in Boston for a couple decades. Uh, and it actually says this, anybody exhibiting Christmas spirit, I don't know what that means, but they were fined five shillings. Okay, they were actually had to pay a fine if they exhibited uh, any type of Christmas spirit. As a matter of fact, since the American Revolution, a lot of the, again, a lot of the English customs kind of didn't mix, and so they just kind of shed it off. And I don't know if you knew this, but in terms of America, in terms of our country, um, Christmas wasn't even declared a holiday until about 150 years ago in 1870 is when it was actually declared Christmas. So when you start looking at sort of investigating Christmas, even just traditions, you can find some really crazy things. And the reason I'm bringing this up to you is sometimes Christians will get into conversations with people and people get really angry and uptight about, you know, what was this and that you shouldn't have a tree and you shouldn't do this. And and I'm just saying, like, look, there's a lot of stuff that did happen over the centuries in terms of what this was. But the reason for why you celebrate matters a lot more than the traditions that you do. Okay, the tra- like my wife and I do the gifts and the tree, and you know we love Advent. I mean, that's part of one of the traditions we love uh, bringing back to the church. And and Advent's a sixteen hundred year old, you know, really historical tradition of the church. But again, you're not going to find it in Scripture, so it's hard to kind of quibble over these things, right? So Advent kind of talks about this anticipation of the coming of Jesus, and so we talked last week about hope. We're going to talk about peace today, but last week started with hope as we talked about the prophecies, or as people would call it, the fortune, the, the foretelling of the coming of Jesus. So we spent all last week, you have to go back and listen to it about hope and the living hope that we have past, present, and future, and why we celebrate hope when it comes to Christmas. But um, part of this was tied to all those prophecies, all right? So just a real quick reminder, um, there was stuff written about Jesus' birth about seven to eight hundred years before Jesus was born. Now that's, we're talking about some specific things written about his birth. I mean, you know, you go back to Genesis and see prophecy of Jesus coming. But, but in terms of his birth, we have documentation that about seven to eight hundred years beforehand, there was some detail about uh, Jesus coming in this Advent season. There's about 300 plus prophecies, they believe, on average, um, that talk, you know, that Jesus fulfilled just with his birth and his life and his uh, death and his resurrection. And, and, it, and we call it, we call it the incarnation, okay? This is, this is when the, the prophecy said that, you know, you're, the virgin's going to give birth to a child and they're going to call him Emmanuel, God with us, okay? So that God with us actually meant something different than what they had previously experienced and the incarnation was part of it. Let me go ahead and read one of those prophecies to you. This is from last week. This is just a recap. Uh, Micah 2, 5-2. You, O Bethlehem, are the only a small village among the people of Judea, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Then the last of his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land. The people of Israel, uh, uh, he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Then his people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly honored around the world. And I love the way this ends. It says, he will be their source of peace. That's who Jesus came to be. Like, this is the prophecy. I've talked a lot about uh, wonderful uh, counselor, prince of peace. He's going to be their source of peace. As a matter of fact, peace is part of the declaration when, when Jesus is born. Peace on earth 
and goodwill to men. But that word peace is really something interesting when you study it. Peace in, in the Hebrew means is shalom. I don't know if you guys have heard that before. A lot of people have. We don't, nobody speaks Hebrew here, but you know, at least I think. Uh, but, but a lot of people have heard the word shalom. But, but shalom, when people said peace be unto you or peace be with you, and a lot of things we read in scripture, um, it didn't necessarily mean peace the way we sometimes think about peace. Um, it really, shalom in its truest form meant sort of like how things used to be or how things will one day be again, like a slice of heaven. Does that make sense? Like, like shalom was basically saying, you know, a, a kind of peace to you um, that's without any of the stuff that you're currently experiencing and it's the way it's supposed to be with God. Like that's, that's the way shalom is kind of designed as a word to, to kind of communicate to. So if you heard the word peace like this, a source of peace, a source of the way things were right before the fall and the way things one day will be again, the way things are in heaven, that's the kind of peace they're talking about. And we celebrate, that's why this week of peace is so important because the incarnation, and this is another one of those things that people struggle with in terms of the faith. They struggle with this understanding of, you know, uh, God being God in terms of how, how he's described and the way they think of God. And then the fact that God chose to not just be with us, um, but in, in, in the way we see it, he became man. That's what we actually celebrate in the Christmas story. He, it's the incarnation of God. He was still 100% God, but he became 100% man. And the way John describes it, which I love, the Gospel John and John 1 describes it this way. He says it's like an, it's like the artist, like, a, like an artist in a painting. And that the author and the artist of a painting actually went into the painting to become part of the painting. Does that make sense? That's it. That was John's way of describing the incarnation. And yet he even said, you know, he went into the painting, but nobody in the painting recognized him as the artist. Nobody really, really recognized him as um, the author. But this peace, this shalom that we celebrate it has kind of mentioned in all of those prophecies. Here's one more I want to read. This is from Isaiah 26 as part of the week of peace reading. Um, it says, in that day, everyone in the land of Judah will sing a new song or sing a song. The city is strong. We are surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Again, talking about future times, Isaiah's uh, sharing. Uh, Open the gates to all who are righteous. Allow the faithful to enter. He will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. The, you know, there's going to be this thing called perfect peace. All who trust in you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Keep going. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. Here's this other prophecy, again, talking about the people of God kind of being sheltered and understanding who God is, and there's a such thing as perfect peace. There's a such thing as actually what I love in the Old Testament, and when you read this passage, uh, the, way, the words that we get for perfect peace in Hebrew is just shalom, shalom, right? It's just the word twice. It's like a double portion. You know, you ever try to explain something's good to somebody, like food, and you're like, that's not just good, that's good, good. Everybody with me? That's a little southern. That's my southern coming out. All right. That's, that's not just good, that's good, good. Like it's, it's, so, it's so peaceful that it's a perfect peace. And he says, all those with perfect peace, why? Because they trust you, because their eyes and their thoughts are fixed on you. And I started thinking about this idea of perfect 
peace, and I, I just began to think through the fact that I, it just feels, it feels how we use the word peace, it feels out of reach. It feels like something that most of us would not claim that we experience very often. And I shared this in a series uh, a couple back, just about the world of anxiety, this culture of anxiety we live in, of fear and struggle and, and dread and kind of bad news and that kind of thing. Like we live in kind of a surrounding of, it makes it hard to not only experience peace the way we understand it, but let alone perfect peace. And I started thinking that most Christians, most Christians I know, and excluding me, and including me, really would describe it more as imperfect peace. Or at best, maybe inconsistent peace. Maybe we experience peace a few times, like you woke up in the morning before the kids woke up, right? And you got your coffee, right? And it was before your spouse, oh, it's all, all good, right? And you got your coffee, and you got your, your Bible open, and you just had a moment to breathe, right? Everybody nod your head if you're with me, right? Like that's, that sometimes is like, oh, what peace is this moment, right? But it's, it's imperfect. Why? Because, you know, sometime the kid's going to wake up. Right? Or the, or, the, or the spouse comes down. Or the call comes. Or you got to rush off to get to work. Like, like there's these moments. And yeah, there's times where you, maybe during worship and prayer or fasting, and you have these times where you feel closer to God. And maybe then there's times where things start to fall away and you feel a sense of peace that you don't normally feel. But again, that seems to be short-lived. It seems to be imperfect, at least inconsistent. So I want to look at that today in terms of what does the Bible mean? What is it offering? What is it we're celebrating when we celebrate peace with the incarnation that God came here to be with us? And I want to look at the nativity story. This is the first one we're going to read together. Uh, this is actually Luke 1, Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read several verses, but this is actually some of my favorite scripture in the uh, Christmas story. It's not the one, like Luke 2 is all about when Jesus is actually born. Um, this is kind of all the verses up to it. But I love the stories that we're getting ready to read. I love the, the characters that, that are introduced in, in Luke's. Um, per, first of all, let me explain. Luke, very, very similar to what we're doing in terms of investigating Jesus. Luke uh, was charged by Theophilus to, to basically research and investigate the claims of Christ and to give an account Okay, to give an account to him about the claims of Jesus, and he did by searching all the eyewitnesses and all that kind of thing, and that's how Luke um, has his gospel through God's Holy Spirit. He really was able to write this gospel account of Jesus, but it says in the beginning, you know, Luke was like, look, many people have tried to do this, but I'm doing my very best to give you the account um, that I've received, Theophilus, and it starts with this story. It starts with this. This is in verse 5. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abadi, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron, so the Levites. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. And as the customs of the priests, he was chosen by lot, right, uh, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord. That would be considered the Holy of Holies, and burn incense. And while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. 
Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. Uh, But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord, their God. He will be a man with the spirit, uh, a man with the spirit of, and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure that this is going to happen? I am an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. The angel then said, I am Gabriel, exclamation point in my Bible. I stand in the very presence of God. It is he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now... Since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. And when we finally come, or when he finally came out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. I love that, that story. I love that passage. Matter of fact, if you go on to read all of Luke 1, you get to see not only uh, Mary's story, but you get to see a little bit more of Zachariah's and Elizabeth's story as they give birth to John, we call John the Baptist. Um, but it's such, a, such an amazing part of the story. Now, I do want you to notice, because we're getting ready to read Mary's uh, encounter with Gabriel, but if you haven't heard that or haven't really thought about the story, I want you to see in, in contrast why necessarily Zachariah's encounter with the angel Gabriel seems to feel a little different than Mary's encounter. With, with, with the angel Gabriel. Does that make sense? Like there's, there's two encounters getting ready to happen about five to six months apart, and they're very, very different in terms, of, in terms of what we see. So here's the account for Mary when Gabriel shows up. So we've already, he's already done this with Zechariah and, uh, and Elizabeth. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to the man Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Let's just read those four four words together out loud. Ready? The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. Here's Gabriel's response. 
The angel responded, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be born, will be holy. Remember the last series we just did, holy, separated from, set apart for. Does that make sense? Like that goes back to how we read the word holy. The baby born will be holy, completely different than anything else. And he will be called the Son of God. Once more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Now, my favorite part of this, and the part I really want to focus on, I'll tell you about it in a minute, but, but I just, I love reading the contrast because these are really two incredibly different moments where Gabriel encounters, you know, we get, we get the presence kind of through Gabriel. Uh, you know, Zechariah just basically says, well, how do I know this is going to happen because I'm super old and my wife is gracefully aging. That's what he basically said, right? And, and you know, you read it and he's like, he's kind of judged for that. He's... He's the hammer kind of comes down. Gabriel's like, who are you talking to? I'm Gabriel, right? I'm not going to repeat myself. Matter of fact, you, you didn't use your words wisely. You're going to not talk for a while, right? Like that's, that's a huge deal. And yet with Mary, what we see with Mary is Mary doesn't necessarily start with disbelief as much as she is just trying as a young girl to understand. Like, I went to health class. I don't know how this is possible. Does that make sense? Like, Mary knew enough to be like, I haven't quite got this yet. Zachariah was a priest. The fact that he saw a vision from the Lord while praying in the holies of holies shouldn't have freaked him out. Right? He should, they were praying for and expecting something. Mary was a young girl saying, I just, just you know, I don't know what's going on. And so the Gabriel is gracious with her. But you do notice the moment he's done, she does immediately go with, let everything you said be true. Let everything you said be true. But all she's really given in this, not only is she told at the very end that God's word will not fail, what she's really only given in this encounter is this. The Lord is with you. And I couldn't think of a more perfect, really kind of like encapsulation of what perfect peace is. It's the Lord is with you. Perfect peace has everything to do with the presence of God. Now, the, you know, this is why I actually love movies. I love plays and stories. And you guys have heard me say this before. Like we, we, our family used to watch the nativity every Christmas Eve. You know, my older two just every year would just be like, oh, we're going to watch it again. Yes, we're going to watch it again. You know, like we would watch that. We'd watch the Bible series. I, you know, I grew up watching plays uh, about the Christmas story. And so, you know, I love it. I, I personally just love because we don't get a ton of detail in terms of what Mary was going to struggle through after she heard that she was having a baby and by the time she delivered the baby. We're given one reference, and that's to Joseph. Joseph doesn't believe her. He's going to put her away quietly. He could have had her stoned. He could put away, you know, just going to put her away quietly until an angel tells him, no, you need to believe her. That's, that's what we get, 
right? And so we, we, you know, a lot of the stories will, you know, this is one reason people don't like it, but a lot of the stories will take artistic liberty and, you know, kind of make it, you know, make people see like what emotionally was going on with Mary and her parents and her family and what would this have felt like, what would this have been like, you know, culturally and contextually. I, I love that stuff. And I, this new one that just came out, The Journey to Bethlehem, um, it, it was another one of those that just really did well. I mean, I'm telling you, Every time, it's a musical and the music's great, but every time Mary sang, like the character of Mary sang, like I, I kind of got allergies a little bit every single time, right? And that'd probably just be in the heart of a dad, you know what I'm saying? Like it just, it just was hard to really, she did a good job just portraying the struggle. But there was a phrase in one of the songs that just kind of gripped me. It gripped me the first time I watched the movie, and I just kept thinking about it every time, like ever since then. There's a phrase in the movie that I love. It's actually, it's portrayed in the story when, when she actually goes from hearing from Gabriel and she's on the way to go see Elizabeth, you know, kind of the timeline-wise, she actually is just struggling through all that this actually means for her life. But here's the lyrics that she says. She says, should a miracle feel like a burden, bringing shame on me and the family? Like, should a, should a miracle be this hard? I don't know if you've ever considered or thought something like that. She's experiencing, she's going to be the one to fully experience the incarnation of God. The fullness of all that prophecy is going to come through her. It is a miracle. And yet, she probably was. Not only arguing with Joseph and hard to explain and didn't know how to do it, she probably was struggling with family and how it was bringing shame to her and her family. It didn't change anything in terms of the consequences she was going to walk through as a mother who was going to give birth out of wedlock. Does that make sense? Culturally. Nothing changed about that, and yet it was still a miracle of the incarnation of Christ being Emmanuel come to us. And so we're, we see a small glimpse in this moment that it really is, that peace we have to redefine this for ourselves. Peace is not the absence of problems. It's not the absence of consequences. It's not the absence of struggle. It's not the absence of anxiety. It's not the absence of worry or the things to be worried about. Peace really does come and start with and is found in the presence of God. It's found there. Like That's, that's where you have to kind of get to in terms of our understanding of peace. And then I love this because God not only continues to, to show up and with his presence, but, but to help Mary continue to affirm and confirm what Angel had told her. So this is really cool. A few days later, I want you to see this, a few days later from the time she talked to Gabriel, she later, she hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. And she entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. Now, Real quick, for everybody who's been to health class, right? Mary, Elizabeth is six months pregnant. Can you tell she's pregnant? Yes. Mary is a few days pregnant. I don't know how long the journey was, maybe a week or so. Can you tell she's pregnant? No. Okay? For everybody who's not gone through health class, you'll learn that eventually. Okay, so, that like, no. So there's no way for Elizabeth to know Mary's pregnant. And all Mary would have needed to see was the prophecy was told and the, and the angel said she was pregnant in her sixth month. All she would have needed to see was Elizabeth's pregnant belly for her to go, oh, God, look at that. You were right. 
But here's what's so cool about this. It says that at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Why'd the child leap within her? Because the angel told Zechariah, your, your boy, your baby is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit before he's even born. The presence of God is going to be there. Elizabeth, now filled with the Holy Spirit, gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. No way for her to know this without the power of, the, of God and the Holy Spirit in her. Who am I or why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, or I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. You are blessed because you believed. You moved in faith. You trusted God and believed he was going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. I mean, I just love this because, I mean, think about this. Like, there is no pregnancy test on earth that would be this accurate. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mary is, is reeling in what she has heard from, from the angel and goes to see her cousin. And not only is what the angel told her true, but her heart is now affirmed and confirmed that everything Gabriel said is true and she is going to bring forth the Savior of the world. Again, that's, that to me is just beautiful. And yet, doesn't change the struggle that she's going to go through. Doesn't change the, you know, the, the worrying about family or how they're going to do this. And, I, I, you know, most people, according to the timeline, believe that Joseph hasn't yet kind of made that turn. So she doesn't even know that yet fully until the angel appears to Joseph and says, don't put her away, don't, you know. So we, we look at this and we're like, it didn't change. Like, it's not the absence of the, of the issues that was bringing peace. It was, it was Gabriel saying, the Lord is with you. And not only was the Lord with her, but then God shows up through Elizabeth and his presence again is sort of all that's needed to do everything that needs to be done in order to bring peace to them. So I started thinking about this. This, this, this struggle between perfect peace and imperfect peace, what we experience and what we walk through life with. And I, and I just continue to go back to, you know, I think, I th and don't hear this question as a, as a way of ins insinuating guilt, okay? Because so, we, we're redefining what peace means. But, but just think about the question at its surface. Like, we sometimes don't experience perfect peace because we really are worried and anxious and consumed with, with what everything that's uncertain because his presence isn't enough. Now, again, that's not, I don't say that to make you feel guilty. I'm just, we spend a lot of time, okay? Uh, most people, it's finances, really. 
I mean, a lot of people, it's finances. It's what finances offers. It's what finance seems to promise, wealth and money. And I know people that, I mean, they're never going to have enough money, and they're never going to feel safe and secure enough. And they've ha- they have more now than they would have ever had 10 years ago, and they still don't feel like it's enough. And they still struggle with security and safety and some of the things that money promises. And they're so fixated on, fixed again, on just the issues around finances that, that when they start thinking about this imperfect or inconsistent piece in their life, it doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you finally have enough this month to take a breath. It doesn't have anything to do with, you know, you're finally at a place that, that things are kind of smooth sailing. There's no extra bills. There's no, like, that's not the kind of peace. That peace doesn't last. Same thing with marriages. You know, you expect your spouse to fulfill all your needs, er, you know, early when you're married. You learn this really, really quickly. Some, some learn quickly. Some take a while to learn that your spouse is not going to meet every one of your, your, your expectations, Right? But there's a lot of weight put on that, and then, and then again, the struggles with marriages and the struggles with relationships, one of the hardest relationships you'll have your entire life to continue to work on and nurture, and, and, and we experience imperfect peace because we expect it to be peaceful at home, and sometimes it isn't. What about with kids? Now, I'm not picking on moms, but moms tend to be uh, the, the ones that worry about the children in a way that's outwardly, you know, dads worry about children, but it looks different. It looks like we don't care. Everybody with me? Like it just, it looks like we don't really care. We do. Fathers worry about their kids. But most moms are sort of the embodiment of that, right? Like it's the embodiment of, of are they going to be enough and will it be enough and are they going to do this and will this happen and will this not happen and, 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 and how it reflects on us as parents and, and, and am I this, am I not doing enough, if I'm, am I doing too much? And at best, we're just going to experience imperfect peace because it tends to be what our, our minds and thoughts are usually fixed on. And yet if we can stop for a moment and just ask the question, but is this presence enough? See, the uncertainties are going to remain. But is his presence enough? Financial problems may come and go, but is his presence enough? Your, your spouse is not perfect. Get newsflash, neither are you. But is his presence enough? That's a really tough question to start to wrestle with, especially as we begin to redefine where we actually find peace. Here's, here's the, I'm going to reread it. Here's the Advent scripture for today, for today's scripture, the, the one that we read for Advent Uh, the week of peace. This is from John 14, okay? And this is Jesus himself telling them, look, I'm going to leave you, and I'm leaving you with a gift. By the way, the gift is his spirit through the Holy Spirit. The gift is his presence always. But he says it this way, I'm going to leave you the gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give is a gift the world gives cannot give. So don't be worried or afraid. Don't be troubled. Sorry, I read the wrong word. The, the peace that I'm bringing to you isn't, it's, it's different. And again, I think most of us would say, yes, that's true, man. When I'm in worship and prayer and I've had these moments and these weekends away and I've had these times where, you know, the chaos dies down and stuff falls away and I experience God in maybe a fresh way and you would agree that the peace that comes from God is different 
right? It is different. But if you really think about how it's described to us in terms of Emmanuel, God with us, the gift I'm leaving you, peace of mind, and the peace that I give, no, it doesn't come from the world, then we have got to start thinking about how we define peace in our own life, especially when it comes to the perfect peace of those who, who trust him. Right? Perfect peace doesn't come. It can't be given or taken away from the world. It doesn't come from the world. The, the world, your world, the world and your world is imperfect. That's what's imperfect and will always be. That's what's always going to be imperfect and inconsistent is the outcomes and the uncertainties of your life. And yet that is where the majority of us fix our minds, is on all those uncertainties and all those outcomes and all those ways. Why? Because we're trying to get peace from it. And he's saying, no, perfect peace that I give is just me. It's my faithfulness. It's my promises. It's the presence of God. It's the presence of God of God in your life, meaning, meaning this, you and I can experience perfect peace in an imperfect world with imperfect things going on all the time around us, with finances up and down, with relationships up and down, with kids up and down. We can experience the perfect peace, the shalom, shalom, even while we walk through those things. Just like Mary was going to. But that's what we have. That's what we're celebrating when we celebrate the incarnation, when we celebrate that God is now with us. And by us, I mean in the New Testament, like the, after Pentecost, you know, our salvation was sealed by the Holy Spirit, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That is God with us. You can't ask for anything more. Perfect peace. Here's how Paul says it. He, he gives some specific instructions to the church in Philippi. And this is just how Paul says it. Because Philippi was also, again, just like us, struggling with where, where do we fix our mind? Where do we fix our thoughts? What are, we, what are we worried about? So Paul tells the church, don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank for all he's done. This is just a part of you know, him working through the disciplines of Scripture and worship Tell God what you need, pray about everything, don't worry about this, you can't add anything to your life, as Jesus would say, can't add a moment of your time with your anxiety. But then he says this, he says, you will then experience God's peace, which exceeds, this is the NLT, exceeds, and I love some of the other uh, translations because I love the words they use, it exceeds, it surpasses, right, it transcends anything we can understand. Mom, I was raised King James Version only, and it, you know, it's the peace that passes all understanding. Right? That's, that's the kind of peace he's talking about. He's like, this is the peace that God has offered you and I, a peace that surpasses, transcends, exceeds the imperfect world you live in, your life, your imperfect life. You can have a perfect peace. 
his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to talk about this, because it's very similar to what, the, what he said in Isaiah. Brothers and sisters, fix your thoughts, right? You've you got to fix your thoughts, not just on those who trust God, but he's saying he breaks it down, what's true, what's honorable, what's right, what's pure, what's lovely, what's admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And I'll just be honest, if you get through that list and you have anything in addition to that other than Jesus, your list is broken, right? It's the wrong list. Because if you start looking at what is absolutely true, what is absolutely right, and what is honorable and right and worthy of praise, it is Jesus or it comes straight from him. Fix your eyes on him and your thoughts on him. And then he goes on. Put into practice all you've learned and received from me. Everything you've heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. With you. Perfect peace. Um, go to that slide for me. The Lord is with you. Just say those words with me. Ready? The Lord is with you. Say it one more time. The Lord is with you. And I wonder if maybe the next time you find yourself with your thoughts consumed and fixed on everything out here. Look, especially now, just, let's just think about it for Christmas. There's a lot of chaos that comes with Christmas season. As you begin to think through those things and as you begin to feel that tension and the anxiety and those, those worries and the dread and the, and the fear and the other things that just come through the struggles, I want you to just ask yourself the question, not for the purpose of guilt. I just want you to ask the question, is his presence going to be enough for me? Because that will draw you back to where your eyes should be fixed on. That will draw you back to where your mind and your heart should be, your thoughts should be fixed on. Is his presence enough? Absolutely. Why? Because the Lord is with us. Uncertainty is, is certain. The only, thing, the only thing that's certain in life is uncertainty. But the Lord is with us. And right now, wouldn't it be amazing if the, the, the incarnation and the peace that we celebrate as followers of Christ, like all year long, I mean, listen, I don't, mean, I don't have the gift of prophecy. That's not one, of my, that's not one that's in my bag, okay, the gift of prophecy. But I, I'm just going to throw this out there. What if 2024, like what if 2020 pales in comparison to how bad 2024 could be? Ugh, right? But, but just think about it. Just think about it. What if it was? Do we still not have the opportunity to have perfect peace because the Lord is with us? And wouldn't that be something to be able to walk through this life with friends and neighbors and, and people within your circles of influence that if things were to get worse before they get any better, that people saw something different about you and me? And it wasn't just peace at Christmas because you got a couple weeks off work and, you know, you know it wasn't just peace at Christmas because it was the chaos finally died down. But it was peace that passes, surpasses, transcends, exceeds everything. And then you would have the opportunity to share. Where do you get this absolute hope from? Where do you get this perfect peace from? And it's Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be incredible? 
That's the gift we're given. As Jesus said, the gift we are given by the incarnation, what we celebrate this Christmas is that the Lord is with us. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for your word. And yes, God, we are too easily, especially when our minds drift and uh, in our own weakness and our own human strength, we too easily drift with our mind and our thoughts fixed on trying to get peace from a whole lot of other areas in our life. And God, I'm not saying, I know that you're saying we should be good stewards of our finance. We should be good stewards of our time. We should be good stewards of these things. There is wisdom in, in the way we act and what we do and the yeses we say and the no we say. I, God, I know that, but at the same time, we oftentimes are just spending so much time worried about the peace out here and not really allowing your presence to be enough. And yet it was all Mary needed. It was what brought Mary and Elizabeth such incredible joy in that moment. May we learn from that. May we spend a little bit of time this Christmas not just thinking about the hope that you came to fulfill, that living hope you give us, but that perfect peace is here. Because you are here with us. We thank you. Pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.